Welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast, conversations with today's top ministry leaders to help you lead better every day. And now podcasting from scenic Colorado Springs, Colorado, here's your host, Jason Day. Hello, friends, and welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Day. And for any of you who have questions about effective small groups ministry, this episode is for you. Whether you have established groups going on now, or perhaps you are looking to launch small groups this fall, or maybe you had groups in the past, but they haven't been all that effective, wherever you might find yourself, my conversation with Alan White should prove helpful. Alan has served as a pastor for over 25 years and has tried many different small group strategies. Some have worked well and others not so well. Alan has coached hundreds of churches across the U.S. on small group ministries. And today, he's going to be sharing some of what he has learned over the years. Alan has written helpful books on small groups ministry, including his latest, Leading Healthy Groups, which is available August of 2018. In this episode, Alan and I talk about ways small group ministry has changed over the years and how to help groups be healthy and effective. Alan then shares a very practical step-by-step plan that you can use for an effective small groups launch. This is a great nuts and bolts conversation. Be ready to take notes and share this episode with your leadership team. Now, won't you please join me in my conversation with Alan White. Alan, thank you for joining us today. Welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast. Thank you very much for having me. Now, Alan, you've been involved in leading and training small group pastors and leaders for many years. So I I think the first question to kind of kick off is, how have small groups changed over the past 25, 30 years or so? You know, that's an interesting question because in some ways they haven't changed at all. Um, as far as the basics of getting together, connecting with people, challenging each other to grow spiritually. But there are some things that have changed. I I think overall I see a trend where um, small groups are skewing smaller. So instead of what we would typically think of, you know, in the past, a group of 10 or 12 or 16, that we're seeing a lot more groups of six to eight people. Um, and part of that is to, you know, make sure the groups are more flexible, you know, accommodating schedules and that sort of thing. Uh, sometimes it's the the size of the space that they're they're meeting in. Uh, but I, I do definitely see that changing. And of course, the, the big issue we face, everybody faces, is just time and priority and what do you want to devote yourself to. And uh, more and more, I mean, people are just. Uh, they're busy. We spend a lot of time on our smartphones, but we're busy. And uh, and so I think with that, you know, maybe there has been a less less of a priority in some quarters. But I think groups are more important than ever, right? especially if you attend, you know, a fairly large church. Um, you can't know everybody and right. not everybody knows you, but everybody needs to know somebody. So that's that's a, a big part of what needs to what needs to continue, whether or not that message is getting across. Uh, you know, we'll see. Yeah, no, no, that's good. Now, Alan, uh, you, you brought something up. You know, some pastors um, kind of say, you know, small groups, that, that time has has come and gone. You know, it's not really for us. It's not for our church. How would you respond to a pastor who has kind of that feeling about small groups? You know, what I would have to say is um, how are you growing your people? Mm-hmm. Now, granted, there's a certain element of discipleship that happens in a weekend service. And I'm all in favor of weekend services. And so if anything I say could be taken otherwise, that's not what I'm saying. <laughs> but but the reality is 
if people could know to do right and then immediately do right based on that knowledge, if growing spiritually was a matter of, oh, that's a really good quote, I'm going to click like, and then suddenly if I'm changed, then you know that would be good enough. But there is that place where, I mean, think about this. We have the Word of God, and the Word of God directs us on how to live. We have the power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead that's resident inside a believer, and yet we struggle to change. We struggle to break bad habits. We struggle to start good habits. And the missing element is having other people to support us and to encourage us and to cheer us on. That's good. Now, so for pastors, I think there's another group of pastors. Uh, there are those I just kind of alluded to that probably are just saying, hey, that's not kind of our flavor. It's not our style, you know, small groups. But then I think there's another group of pastors that I've talked to and their question would be something more along the lines, well, small groups have never really worked for us, so why bother? There's got to be another way. How, how would you approach a pastor who's said, I've, I've given it a shot, I tried it, it just didn't work out? Well, I guess my question would really have to be, what did you try? And, and the reason I say that is I, I think I have failed at more things than I've succeeded at things when it comes to groups, and there are things that I've done in the past that I would never do again. For instance, a lot of times we want to, you know, create groups. So we recruit the leaders and train them. We have church members who are interested sign up on a sign-up card. And then based on geography or affinity or whatever, we place people in these groups. And then it's really kind of hit or miss as to whether or not these people are actually going to have anything in common or like each other. And so if the relational component is not there in a group, it's going to be difficult for the group to gel. They'll do it for a season because the pastor was in favor of it and they want to be loyal to their pastor. But for the long term, it doesn't work. And so I actually go the other way. I challenge people to get together with their friends and do a study because the people who don't have time for a group, well, they have time for their friends. And sometimes the reason they don't have time for a group is they know that the time they spend with the group is taking away from the time that they spend with their friends. So I think if they can invite people that they already know to be in a group with them, that's a big move forward uh, because they're still going to be friends at the end of the study. The other thing that I think is missing, and I see this in a lot of churches across the country, is the lack of a coaching structure. That leaders need someone to support them, to encourage them, to answer their questions, to be there for backup, to provide an element of accountability, but we're not going to take that too far. Uh, they need to have some kind of help and support in a practical way. And it's training meetings are great. Things that we write, books that we can purchase, all of those things are great. But coaching really comes down to a relationship. And it's an experienced leader having a relationship with a group leader and someone that they can go to and answer their questions and somebody who they know is praying for them and will, is willing to help them. And so a lot of times, in absence of a coaching structure, then everything goes back to the pastor. Pastors are busy. Pastors have a lot of things on their plate, right. and they're not going to be able to provide that kind of personal attention to the leaders. But if the leaders don't have that kind of personal attention, then it's very likely that you know they're not going to go for the long term. So what would you say, um, you know, should families be or, you know, individuals or couples or families be together for years on end in a group or should they mix themselves up over time? 
that's a, a lot to cover in one question, but it well, I'll, I'll do my best. <laughs> Go for I'll it. I'll do my best. I, I think that in general, the group has a life cycle. Most groups will last for 18 months to two years. And that's kind of a, and you can Google small group life cycle and you can come up with 20 different models and they all kind of come around to a typical group is 18 months to 24 months. Uh, and then they either re up to continue or they say, okay, this is a logical time for us to take a break. Now, we do have a lot of things with churchwide campaigns and alignment series where people, for a single study, maybe a six week study or for a semester, will try out a group. Now, this is more like when you go to buy a car. You know, they give you a test drive. This is more of a test drive of a small group than signing on the dotted line saying, I'm taking this baby home. Right. Um, and so the idea is that for a short period of time, they see whether or not they like leading a small group and whether or not, you know, this group is going to be agree agreeable. I mean, nobody's going to be perfect in the group, but, you know, do we like each other well enough that we would continue? We offer them in the middle of that first six weeks. Oh, by the way, if you enjoy meeting together, here's another study that you can continue into. But if they, you know, it hasn't been a good experience and they have an out. And so sometimes we look at those groups and say, well, there's just a lot of starts and stops and ups and downs. And there are a certain number of people that in a church would only do, you know, a church wide campaign or alliance alignment series once or twice a year. But for me, that's the opportunity to start new groups. And so out of that, you give them a, here's a six week trial. It's not the rest of your life. I used to recruit leaders for the rest of their life. That didn't work out so well, um, but it was too long, too big of a commitment, but here's six weeks. And if you like the six weeks, you know, would you do another six weeks? And so I've seen some groups, they've only lasted six weeks. I know of other groups that have been together for 30 years. To me, the bottom line really gets to this for a group that is, is meeting for the long haul do they still have their edge as a group? Do they still, when, when a member of the group is struggling, are they still there to bring them back to God? When a member of the group is going, is deviating from the path, do they still have the ability to go and tap that person on the shoulder and say, hey, let's talk about what's going on with you because this is not who I've known you to be. If they still have that kind of edge where they can be truth-telling, then, and they're effective, then definitely continue on as a group. But if they become too understanding and they go, oh, yeah, it's terrible that he does that, but we know why, then I don't think the group is doing what it's supposed to be doing. Interesting. Very interesting. Well, and talking about those kind of long-term groups, what about the danger of it becoming kind of ingrown? Yeah, definitely. And, and I think that it, a group has to have an outlet for ministry in some way, or else you do kind of just become a cul-de-sac or, you know, like the Dead Sea. And you don't want that. So either you're continually inviting new people to join your group, or your group is reaching out into the neighborhood, into the community, serving others, and doing those kinds of things. But for most groups, if they don't continue to grow they're probably not going to last for a long term simply because people move away. People change jobs. People are not free that night of the week anymore for whatever reason. And over time, the group will dwindle in attendance. And the other thing that happens is if they're close together 
and their attendance is small. So now all of a sudden, oh, for us to be a group, we've got to invite some new people. Well, now they have so much history. They have inside jokes and all of these sorts of things. It's very hard for new people to stick. Right. So the answer to some of that is if you are continually inviting and including new people, you're not really going to be at a place where your group becomes so stagnated and so small that it just can't continue. Uh, and there are some cases where, you know, for a season we ask the established members of the group to step out of the group and then fill the group with new people and then invite invited the established members back and then everybody's stuck. I think the next problem, I think in one group in particular, the next problem they called me and said, we have 25 adults and 25 kids meeting at our house every Tuesday. It's too much. And yet they had been stuck with six people for a long period of time. <laughs> so it worked too well. We had to go have some different strategies um, for that. But I, I think the main thing is that, you know, it's uncomfortable to make a space for a new person. It's uncomfortable because on both sides, because the group doesn't know, well, am I going to be able to share the things I normally share with the group? Because I don't know this person, where is this going to go? And the new person is struggling with, well, are they going to accept me? And unless the group goes you know, bends over backwards to kind of help them, you know, understand why something was funny that they laugh about or, or whatever else they're going to feel uncomfortable, but there really is something, and I don't want to make too much of this, but there's something about going outside a group, going outside of their comfort zone to include new people and, and to help them feel accepted and to incorporate them into the group. There's something about that, of that, comes up against a little bit of our selfishness mm. and it makes us a little more Christ-like. And that's not saying that closed groups that have been together forever, not following Jesus. I don't, don't take it that far. Right, right. But, but on the other hand, there is something about this is for me and I benefit from it, but because I benefit from it, I don't want to selfishly hold on to that benefit. I want to share it with other people. As we're talking about groups I've heard kind of two different approaches, or maybe maybe not approaches necessarily, but two different terms tied to groups that are kind of ongoing, and yet they want their groups to grow in some way. And uh, one is is the the word multiplying. So you're multiplying small groups. Um, the the flip side of that is dividing small groups. Can you talk to me a little bit about the difference between multiplying and dividing small groups, and what's most effective? Yeah, and every pastor listening just got a big knot in their stomach. Um, <laughs> well, here, here's the thing, is that in, in some cultures, this is a very natural course for groups to go. They're very discipleship-minded. They're wanting to win people to Christ. They're, they're needing to multiply groups very rapidly in order to accommodate all of those needs. In North American culture, that doesn't work so well. And part of it is because... People just like staying together. And so it the, the thought of you need to develop an apprentice leader so that your group can multiply and other groups can be started. I think that's a very important principle. It's very difficult to pull off because unfortunately we were just talking about, you know, our chief interest is self-interest. And so here's a group where I'm comfortable, where I, you know, and so a lot of people are not thinking, well, I, I want to do the, the bigger picture and who can I serve and who can we include? And so that becomes extremely difficult. So I, I've done a workaround and the workaround has been that we just get a bunch of people to start new groups. 
So people that have been in a group, people who've not been in a group, anybody that has friends, you know, here it is. Here's a study. Maybe it's video based. It's easy to use. Let's just start a group. That's that's one angle of going. Now, my other way of going is I've never put a limit on how big a group could get. And so I mentioned a little bit ago that I had this group that had 25 people in it. And um, the leaders wanted to know if that was okay. And I said, yeah, it's fine. I said, you know, come back and talk to me when you have 35. And they said, looked at me like, really? I thought groups were smaller. And we're not a small group anymore. But what I found was that if you, if you allow the group to multiply, and it, I mean, to continue to grow and grow and grow, and at the same time, you're subgrouping within the group, and you're developing other people in the group that can lead the discussion, there's going to be some point where the group members themselves are going to begin to feel the pain of there are too many people in this house. We're having trouble finding places to park. We have all of these kids running around. We Something's got to give. And at that point, you say, well, you know, some of the co-leaders that are leading you know, these subgroups within the group, you could actually take that group to your house or to somebody else's house. And so I, uh, so while I wouldn't, I, I don't necessarily force them to do that. I've tried that. It didn't work. So I gave up on that. I, I would either go after the congregation and try to get as many people as I could interested in at least a six week trial run at leading a group, or I would allow the groups to become so large that they didn't have any choice, but except to, you know, part, eventually have part of the group go to somebody else's house. Um, but the, the idea of there are groups that still will do multiplication, you know, you could train a, a leader within the group and maybe they would leave and start a group. Maybe they would take over the group that the person that you're leading and then you would leave and start a group. Um, but once you begin to get into that kind of conversation, people become a little upset about that. In fact, I was talking to one pastor that said they even had people that started crying because they didn't want the thought of the surrogate family being broken up. And so I think it's something you have to handle very, very carefully, but something that, you know, they need to be prepared for in case they reach a point where they feel like, okay, we have too many people. Somebody's got to go somewhere else. Right. No, that, that makes sense. Now, Alan. In churches that are doing small group ministry effectively, do you see them doing more of kind of decentralized small groups where, you know, groups are, are just popping up around different studies or different interests, those types of things? Or is it more of kind of a, a controlled, you know, strategic approach with, you know, supplied curriculum, those types of things? What, what do you see most often? You know, I think it depends on what stage the groups are in. Now, I'm going to preface all of this by saying I am in favor of any kind of group. <laughs> so you have groups based on hobbies. You could have Sunday school classes, and they're a group. I have nothing against Sunday school. Any group that you form so far, you know, if it's established, if they do Bible study, if they do fellowship, if they serve together, I'm, I'm in favor of all of that because I, it gives us a connection beyond the weekend service. It, people get to know each other. They're in God's word. They're doing their best to live it out. I, I'm in favor of, of all of those different types of things. Now, th the model that you choose, a lot of it has to do with the church and the personality of the leadership. And so some people will, you know, want to 
control it a little bit more. My name is Alan. I'm a recovering control freak, so <laughs> I can speak to this. And and so, but then other people are kind of like, oh yeah, get together and you know, study God's word. That'd be awesome, and do whatever you want. Um, so somewhere in the balance of that is probably where we need to go. Um, early on in small group ministry, because I am one that my personality is, I just want everybody to line up and march. Um, just everybody do the same thing, and here we go. But early on in ministry. God gave me a middle picture, and I hope this is not weird for people, but God just kind of gave me this middle picture of a garden, a gardener in a nursery. And there were all of these different varieties of plants, and they all required, they all required light, they all required water, they all required nutrients, but they were all very different. Some were annual, some were perennial, some were rapidly growing, some grew slowly over time, and they all needed different elements in order to grow and to thrive. And the thing that I took from that was that this was how small groups were meant, that they were going to be very, very different. They weren't going to grow at the same rates. They weren't going to study the same things. They were going to thrive and doing things a little bit different, and it didn't need to be so uniform. And I really came to the belief that, you know, if your church, whether you have 10 groups or 100 groups or 1,000 groups or more, that if you, all of those groups are studying different things according to where that group is in their growth and development and where they need to go, then that's probably about perfect. And there are those times where we would do the church-wide campaigns to try to recruit new groups, but I didn't require my established groups to do those, those studies unless they were interested in it because, you know, the practical side of it was I already had those established groups. I didn't care what they studied. I mean, I did care, but I it didn't matter if they were going to do the church-wide study or not. I was just using the church-wide study to um, recruit new ones. And, and so I think that you need to start with a model. And you can choose whatever whatever model you want to start with, whether it's sermon-based or missional or campaign-based or whatever else that, that is out there. And that model will get you part of the way to getting all of your people into groups. But hear this very clearly. There is no one strategy that's going to connect all of your people into groups. Mm. It doesn't exist. Right. And so, you know, we would say, well, we've been working this one for a while and now we didn't get everybody in groups. So we're going to scrap that and we're going to, you know, convert all of our groups over to this thing. And guess what? That one's not going to get everybody into groups either. <laughs> so but here's the deal. There is no rule. There is no thus saith the Lord out there that says you can only use one strategy or one method to connect your people into groups. Right, right. So the way that, you know, these guys, including myself, got over 100% of adult attendance into groups was we just used multiple strategies at the same time. That so use sense. Sunday yeah. school and have sermon-based and have interest-based and have support groups and have hobby-based and whatever, have get together with your friends and we don't care if you tell us or not, um, yeah. <laughs> you know. What what and I'm I'm being a little facetious, but not too not too far off. Right, right. But but anyway, you try all of those different things, and and you're going to catch somebody in some point, you know, where they're going to say, okay, I would do a group that way, yep. but I can't do a group, you know, at a designated time and a designated location and study everything that everybody else is, because our people are all very different. They come from different places. They're different places right. in their growth, and they need different things. Right, right. 
Now, and not to overwhelm pastors listening, because it doesn't mean you have to launch all those different types of strategies at once, right? That's no, that can be something no. that just grows and evolves over time as as you see um, opportunity um, within your congregation, within your people. Absolutely. And if you try one strategy and let's say you connect 30% of your adults into groups, that's a pretty good run. Right. And then you see it slowing down a little bit. Well, implement your second strategy. And then you might get to 50% or, you know, two thirds in groups. And then the last third is really a different breed of animal. And you have to have a (laughs) lot more, you have to have a lot more flexibility and kind of let them do groups on their terms. But, but here's the, the sweet thing of the whole, this whole deal. They're all still part of the same system. They just started their groups in different ways. Uh, so they all receive the same tra- training. They all, receive, they all have a coach. So you're not having to manage five different systems. You treat them all exactly the same. You offer them all the exact same things, but they just start in different ways. And I found that that's been suitable for them, but it's not impossible for you. That's good, Alan. That's good. Now, in our time left, this is what I'd, I'd like to do. I'd like us to get really super practical, right? Fall is around the corner. It's a great time for launching a small groups ministry. So can you give us some steps that a pastor who's listening in today can take to really be moving toward an effective small group launch? So, yeah. so like what's step number one? What's the first thing that they're either – you know, launching a small group ministry for the first time or, you know, you know, maybe something happened at one point in the past, but floundered a little bit. What what would they do is right now as they're sitting there, they're thinking, OK, fall's coming up. What's step one? Yeah. Step one would be to decide how many groups that you want to try to launch this fall. And how do you decide that? Well, you can either take your a- number of your average adult attendance and then subtract your Sunday school classes, your midweek Bible study, other groups that you already have going. Because more than likely, if people are involved in one of those things, they're not going to do a small group in addition to that, at least not in the long term. Mm -hmm. So you can kind of take, okay, now here's who we have left that aren't doing Sunday school or midweek or aren't in a group. And then maybe we divide that number by six or eight, and then that becomes our goal for how many groups we want to start. Okay. You know, so however we arrive at that number, maybe we just, you know, pull a number out of the air and say, this is how many I want to start this fall. Then that, so that would be the first step to kind of decide this is our goal of where we want to, want to get. Now, believing that you're going to reach that goal, the second thing you need to do is to divide that number at least in half, maybe divide it by three. So you have 10. We're going to do 10 groups this fall. I'm going to divide it by three. I need three people to coach these new leaders. And each of the coaches is going to have three groups. Okay. And and they could be experienced leaders. They could be mature members of your congregation. It's anybody except you or your staff. Even if you have a small group pastor, you want to recruit other people to coach. And I've done this in the church with 800 adults on the weekend. I've done this in a church with 5,000 adults on the weekend entirely with volunteers, no paid staff. Mm. And um, so you would begin to go to experienced leaders and say, hey, we're going to have a a big emphasis this fall in launching groups. We're going to start all of these new groups. Our coaching structure is going to be completely overwhelmed. Even if you don't have one, it's going to be completely overwhelmed because it's you. (laughs) And so would you walk alongside a new leader for either one study or one semester? And you kind of secure that. Okay. Then 
your next step would be to find, I would say, three weeks in a row where you would recruit new leaders from your congregation. Now, who you recruit depends on your acceptable level of risk. So if you say, ah, let's just see how many we can get, then you can say, okay, if you're willing, if you're breathing, you're qualified. <laughs> now, some of you, that what I just said terrified you. So maybe they need to be a member of the church. Maybe they need to be a member in good standing of the church. Maybe they need to go to a, through a certain amount of training. Whatever you decide, you set the requirements. And so, but you cast that net, you say, now here are some requirements. And if they need to be a member, offer a membership class before the study starts so they can become a member so they can lead a group, right? Right. And so you assign them a coach, you give them some training, a little bit of training to get them started. The coach is going to be your trainer because they're going to answer all of the questions as they have them. And those are the lessons that are the best learned. Um, Put it on the leaders to recruit their own group. So they could make a list of people that they know, friends, neighbors, coworkers, people, other people from church. Um, I would encourage them to recruit people that they liked. Uh, that's, you know, <laughs> that's not so bad. Right. And then also pray about who God would have in your group and encourage these new leaders to pray and then Tell them to keep their eyes open. Pay attention to who crosses your path. Somebody calls you you haven't talked to in six months. Why are they calling this week when I just prayed about God? Who should I invite to my group? That's good. Invite them to your group. You know, so it's, and I don't know why this even happens with me. Sometimes we pray about things and we're like, oh yeah, God's going to answer my prayer. I should look for an answer. (laughs) (laughs) So, and then, so the immediate question is, okay, if the leaders are inviting people into the group, then what about the people who don't get invited? Well, we have to provide some way for them to get invited. And so sometimes what I've done is just create an environment where you would have the new leaders that you feel are qualified that would represent the church well, have a new leaders present to meet the prospective members face-to-face, and they sign up to be in a specific group. Rather than an interest list, rather than a sign-up card, rather than a website or pick a group out of a directory. Because at least in that face-to-face meeting, in about 60 seconds, they can get a sense of, is this a person I want to hang out with for the next six weeks or not? And if it is, they sign up for the group. If not, they move on to the next one and meet the next one. Um, So how many groups do you want? Divide that by two or three. How many coaches do you need? Recruit the coaches. Make an open invitation on a Sunday, and then out of the people that say, I want to lead a group, have them begin to invite people. Because one test of whether or not somebody has the ability to lead a group is whether or not they have the ability to gather a group. Uh, And if they can't gather the group, they're probably not going to be able to keep a group going, even if you give them one. So it's a little bit of a test in that. And then, you know, provide some way for people to get connected. I know that there's a lot of questions and a lot of exceptions that pop up. And what if so-and-so decides to do a group? I'd be afraid of what group they would start. You know what? Let the exceptions be the exceptions. Mm. And there are people that over the years I've had to pull aside and have a conversation and said, are you sure you're ready for this? How are you doing in this area of your life that you've been struggling in? Okay. It's not going so well. Well, let's, let's focus on that for now. And why don't you join a group? And then let's consider leadership a little further down the road. 
And sometimes it just opens the door to have a pastoral conversation with people and give them some direction. But you know what? Those kinds of issues, those kinds of problems are going to be 2% of everybody else that comes forward. And people that never thought of leading, people that you've asked and never wanted to, but somehow you offered it in the right angle of doing a study with their friends or that it's only six weeks or whatever, it's attractive enough that they're going to give it a try this time. And, you know, and if you've never done that before, then it, it's certainly worth giving a try. Man, Alan, that's excellent. Thank you so much for that. You know, the, the entire discussion, our entire conversation, so many nuggets of, of wisdom in there. What if, uh, I imagine there are probably pastors who are listening right now, ministry leaders, church leaders who are listening and, um, you know, jotting down some notes, going to be talking this over with their leadership team, but they need some more. Where, where can our listeners go to connect with you, Alan, or to, to learn more about you know, launching effective small groups or growing the small groups that they have, those types of things. Yeah, my website is alanwhite.org. So Alan is two L's and an E. So A-L-L-E-N, white, just like the color, W-H-I-T-E dot O-R-G. And uh, you can find things that I offer there. I have a book that came out last year called uh, Exponential Groups, Unleashing Your Church's Potential. I have a book that I am finishing up in the next couple of days that'll be out in the middle of August called uh, Leading Healthy Groups, a guide for small group leaders. And so that'll be out soon. But I have a lot of other things on the website. You can even find an opportunity on the website to sign up for a free 30-minute assessment where we can answer some questions. And I have no problem volunteering my time. I do online courses. I do coaching groups and stuff as well. But it may just start, you know, having a conversation. And uh, that may be all you need. But anyway, more than willing to help. So alanwhite.org, two L's and an E, remember that. And uh, I'll I'll be glad to help you any way I can. Awesome, brother. Well, we'll have a link to your website in the show notes for this episode so you guys can check that out if you didn't get to jot it down but to encourage you guys to take advantage of of that 30 minute phone call and just bounce some questions off of alan and let him know where you are as a church and uh, we certainly appreciate all of your assistance brother and all the work you're doing uh, to help uh, build god's kingdom and his church so thank you so much for being with us yeah thank you for having me on today I appreciate you taking the time to be with us on this week's episode. Every week as we are putting the episodes together, we're thinking of you, our pastors and ministry leaders, and striving to provide insightful and inspiring interviews as you seek to grow as a kingdom leader. So we hope you're finding value from the Church Leaders Podcast, and if so, we'd certainly appreciate you taking a few moments to head over to iTunes and leave us a review. Your positive reviews and ratings help other church leaders more easily find our podcasts so they too can benefit from these interviews. Again, we thank you in advance, and if you have any comments, any questions, suggestions, or ideas for guests, I would love to hear from you. You can send me an email to podcast at churchleaders.com, or you can connect with me on Twitter. Finally, you can find this podcast as well as other great faith-based podcasts on the FaithPlay app. It's available for both Apple and Android, and so we encourage you to check that out as well. So until next time, this is Jason Day encouraging you to love well, and lead well. You've been listening to the Church Leaders Podcast. For articles, videos, and free resources that will help you lead better every day, visit our website at churchleaders.com. Thanks for listening.